0: Good morning, everybody! Happy Sabbath! Welcome to Advent Hope, and um, I'm just very glad to be here and to welcome you here this Sabbath morning. My name, uh, as you might have seen in the bulletin, is Adrian, and I'm a first-year dental student here. And yeah. <laughs> Thanks to all my classmates that came. <laughs> um, I'm humbled to be here this morning, and I've really been praying that the words this morning would be God's words and not my own. And so, I'd just like to ask for your prayers. as as I speak this morning, um, that God would be speaking through me. Um, Advent Hope is a ministry that has really blessed my life quite a bit through the sermons on audioverse.org throughout the years. So I'm really glad to be here and to be able to um, also work with the outreach department. It's been a blessing. And I would just like to let us begin our time with God uh, this morning with prayer. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this Sabbath that you've given us and for the opportunity to be here to worship you and to learn um, from your word and to see the example that Jesus left for us and to know how we can follow in his footsteps. Lord, I just ask that this morning you would speak and that you would um, reach each one of us, myself included, with this message, Lord, and help us to leave here today with a renewed sense of your calling on our lives, and of the importance of working for you and, and following you in all that we do. These things we ask in Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, so let's open our Bibles this morning to James chapter 1, verse 27. And when I chose the, the, the text for this morning, I did not know that the South School lesson was going to be on James coming up, so that was... Not planned by me, that was planned by God, I guess. <laughs> so James 1, verse 27. And I'll be reading throughout this morning in the King James Version, New King James Version. So I'll just give you a chance to, to get there to James 1, verse 27. The Bible says, Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Pure and undefiled religion. Is that how you would have described a perfect religion? Visiting widows and orphans in their distress, and keeping oneself unspotted from the world. It's not exactly what would come to my mind initially, but I'd like to say that from the little experience that God has given me, When you do that, when you, specifically, uh, the part about visiting widows and orphans in their distress, that brings a lot of satisfaction. Now, by talking about widows and orphans, we're not just talking about people that literally don't have uh, parents or a husband or wife. We're talking about the people that are really in need in this world. And I'd like to share a time in my life when God brought that to the forefront of my thinking. My family and I lived in Mexico for about ten years as missionaries, and we were at the Adventist University there, Montemorelos University. And while we were living there, um, for the most part of that time, myself and and I would say probably um, most of my my brothers I have two brothers, um, we we were there, we were we were there as missionary kids, but not necessarily involved very much in outreach. That, might differ between um, those of us, but I wasn't really that much involved in any outreach activities per se for most of that time. And around um, two years before we left, one day, one Sabbath morning, I was sitting in the university church, which was a huge church uh, there on campus, and the pastor preached a sermon. And in his sermon, I don't remember the specifics of the sermon, but I do remember a call that he made for a small little church not far from the university that was dying. Um, This church was mainly sustained by uh, Adventist uh, members that would come in from outside of that community and keep the church going, but it wasn't really embedded into the community itself. There weren't many members of the church that actually lived in that community. And at this point, the church had basically had to be closed because they weren't able to pay their bills. And so that Sabbath, in the sermon, the pastor made a call for people to get involved, and to come out and help revive this church. And I felt called to do that. I felt that that would somehow be an answer to some of of the things I was facing in my life at that point. So I decided to respond, and I started getting involved. Now, the group of people that were going to this church were mainly families or couples, and I was just going on, on my own. So becoming a part of the group wasn't exactly easy, um, I had before that been accustomed to spending my Sabbath afternoons uh, just at home, you know, with my family. Um, maybe, you yeah, just doing restful Sabbath act- afternoon activities. <laughs> not sleeping necessarily, but um, not involved in like going knocking on doors and things. And this was something that the group was interested in doing. So for the first maybe a couple months that I was involved with it, I pretty much just went in the mornings and went back home in the evenings. I didn't really want to get involved in the Obra Misionera, as they call it in Spanish, um, mission work in the afternoons. I just wanted to go back home and, and, and rest. Um, but after a while, I started feeling like, you know, I should probably get involved. And it was more from, from the point of view of feeling guilty than really having a desire to go out and, and help win souls. But I started going. Um, and, and it was a blessing. God, God blessed through that. And I was able to, to go with some of the church members to people's homes and study the Bible with them. And that was kind of a new experience for me, but it was it was something that, that I enjoyed, even though it still wasn't my default position for what to do on Sabbaths. By the next semester, uh, I continued going to this church, and by the next semester, a couple of friends were going with me, and we would go in the afternoons to help lead out in the Sociedad de Jovenes, as they call it in Spanish, the UAY or Youth Program, in the evenings. And uh, we would organize that and, and speak. The only problem was there weren't many youth in the church, so it wasn't exactly reaching the target audience. And so my friend um, who was going with me had the idea of, instead of doing that, there were a lot of um, children in the community where we were going, and so he had the idea of starting a children's outreach program in South Evenings. And so we decided to do that. We stopped doing Sociedad de Joveness and instead started reaching out to the kids in the community. And that first Sabbath when we did that, there were probably about 20 kids or more that showed up, and it was really exciting. It was like the, the word spread that we were giving something away and all the kids wanted to come. <laughs> So it was really exciting. We started out with that. The numbers didn't always stay the same. It wasn't always that many. But we continued going and continued reaching out to the kids that way. Uh, the next semester from that, we continued on in our outreach. And my friend decided that he... Well, he felt called that we should do something to reach out to the poor in the community. Um, not just specifically there, but in, in the, in the um, town where we were living. And so we decided to go ahead and do that in that community we had been going to, which was called Pancho Villa. So we decided to, to start reaching out to people there. And we also decided to formalize our group a little bit more, give it a name. And the name we came up with was Mano sirviendo a Cristo, which in Spanish, well, in English, means hand-serving Christ, which conveyed the idea that through the service we were giving to others, we would be actually serving Jesus. So one of the first people we started reaching out to was... A, an alcoholic guy that lived near the church and his life was really a mess. Uh, I'll call it his name, Juan. He had been drinking so much he, he wasn't very responsible. His wife left him. His kids got taken away from him and he was he was really in trouble. So we decided to start reaching out to him instead of just giving him money for whatever he thought that he needed. We decided to help him to learn to help himself. And so... We went and, and took flowers, this is not potted flowers, to help him, um, had an idea of giving him something that he could do that would help him generate some income, but that wouldn't be very labor-intensive, so we wanted to help him grow flowers, learn how to do that, and we started studying the Bible with him. Now, this continued for a little while. Unfortunately, after a while, he didn't decide that he wanted to continue in that, but we still had a desire to reach out to that community. So... Another person that a couple weeks around that time we reached out to, there were two older ladies in the community that we decided to go and help them with uh, cleaning up their yard and and their house. And one of them we discovered was very sick. Now, she had been having some problems with breathing and and respiratory problems. She had seen the doctor and had medication, but it wasn't helping. So after we helped clean up her house that, that Sunday, uh, we and some of the church members decided to take her to the Adventist Hospital. And at this point, we had been blessed by receiving some donations, so we were able to help uh, cover the cost of some of her um, x-rays and, and medication. And they gave her a free consultation with the doctor. And we, she went home and was scheduled for a follow-up visit on Tuesday. This was Sunday that this happened. Now, this was a really good experience because we felt like we were really helping somebody. We'd gone and helped clean her house. She was in trouble. We took her to the hospital. She was being seen, and it was great. Now, Tuesday morning, I was getting ready to go to the hospital to go be with her for her follow-up visit, and I received some shocking news. She was dead. And that was like, what? How, how could this be? We were, just, we were just helping her the other day. How could she be dead? Well, apparently, somebody had found her that morning in her home. She lived alone just on the ground, dead. And it was a huge shock to us and, and really increased our sense of urgency. We realized we were some of the last people to interact with this lady before her eternal, her eternal destiny was sealed. And that was a sobering thought. So it gave us a renewed sense of urgency. Um, we were able to go over uh, to the community, go to her house where her friends and, and relatives and, and, fam- and neighbors were gathered. And we were able to share some words of encouragement and to pray with them. And so God brought some good out of that situation, but it was still a very shocking way to start off. Anyways, we decided to we continued on in our outreach. We um, would ride over there on Sunday mornings to do either community work, uh, help clean up the community, or visit people in their homes and and read the Bible with them. We started taking food, we would receive donations of food and and would take to these people. Um, We, through the help of some dental students there, we got started with a program for um, collecting sack lunches that the students received on Sabbaths. They wouldn't always use the whole thing. They'd sometimes waste it. And so instead of that, we decided to, to collect that and take it to the people and help them out. And so the outreach grew, and it continued to grow. Now, this went on for about two years uh, before, like I said, before we left Mexico. The second year, the project really peaked. Um, God blessed, and we were able to do a free medical and dental clinic for the people with the help of the university. We also were able to do some more community service projects and were able to reach out to people that we didn't know we would have the opportunity to reach out to. One person that we reached out to uh, one day we were out visiting people and a lady called to us and said, hey, um, you know, my brother wants you to come visit him. And so we went uh, to his house and started visiting him. He was about mid-30s maybe, um, but was sick and couldn't really get out of bed very much. Uh, later on we found out through someone else in the community that this lady that had called to us was a, uh, a traditional healer of sorts, somewhat kind of like a witch doctor. And that was like, whoa, that's weird. Um, (laughs) Didn't expect that. I guess we were in the mission field. But it was a blessing to be able to to visit these people and share the Bible with them. And though not all of them necessarily made a firm decision for Jesus, we did see evidences that God was working through us and through the the chance to, to reach out to them. So by the time that I was leaving Mexico, in retrospect... Um, looking back over what had happened, how would I have known that that one Sabbath in church, when I made that decision to go and start helping out that small community church, that we would start up a ministry that would have a regular food distribution program, would have several Bible study interests, and would have over two years of semester-long vacation Bible school for kids. It was amazing, and it just goes to show the power of, Of small decisions that we can make for God. But now, we know, going back to to the text that we started off with, James 1.27, talks about visiting orphans and widows in their trouble and also keeping oneself unspotted from the world. Now, this is what James was writing to the believers and saying, this is what your life should look like. But I believe also that was an explanation of what Jesus' life looked like when he was on this earth. So, How do we know whether Jesus did this or not? We can go to the Gospels. So let's go to Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, and verses 11 to 15. And this is a very concrete example of where Jesus reaches out to a widow, a literal widow. So let's go to Luke 7, verses 11 to 15. Again, from the New King James Version, it says, Now it happened. The day after, that he went into a city called Nain, and many of his disciples went with him in a large crowd. And when he came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the city was with her. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came and touched the open coffin, and those who carried him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. So he who was dead sat up and began to speak, and he presented him to her mother, to his mother. Now, if there was ever a widow in trouble, this was one. She had no husband, she just lost her only son. She was really in trouble. And Jesus came to her and helped her in a way that she could have never imagined. He healed her son. Now that's impossible to raise somebody from the dead, but Jesus did that. Now, I really like the description of this that's found in the book Desire of Ages, which is a book on the life of Christ. And it comes from pages 275 and 276. Listen to what this says. Young man, I say unto thee, arise. That voice pierces the ears of the dead. The young man opens his eyes. Jesus takes him by the hand and lifts him up. His gaze falls upon her who has been weeping beside him. And mother and son unite in a long, clinging Joyous embrace. He who stood beside the sorrowing mother at the gate of Nain watches with every morning one beside the bier. He is touched with sympathy for their grief, for our grief. His heart that loved and pitied is a heart of unchangeable tenderness. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Amen. Jesus was reaching out to this lady because he loved her and he wanted to help her. Now that's not all. There are many examples in the Gospels. Let's go to Matthew four verse twenty-three. To 24. Matthew chapter 4, verses 23 to 24. And we're going to, again, see how Jesus is spending this time reaching out to needy people and helping them. So Matthew 4, 23 to 24 says, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. Now let's turn to Matthew 8, verses 16 to 17. We're going to notice a repeating theme here. Matthew 8, verses 16 to 17. It says, When evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, And he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, He himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. Now again, let's turn to Matthew chapter 9, just a couple pages over, verses 35 to 36. And again, we're seeing this pattern that Jesus is going out and helping all these people that need help. It says, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered, like sheep having no shepherd. So, what did we just see about Jesus? We see him working on behalf of people that were in very great need, which is like just what James told us we need to be doing. We need to be reaching out to those who need help. Now they again, like I said, they might have not all been orphans and widows in the literal sense, but they were all very needy. And I like uh, how in the ministry of healing, Ellen White describes how this ties in with the life of Jesus. This is from page twenty-four. What a busy life he led, talking about Jesus. Day by day, he might have been seen entering the humble abodes of want and sorrow, speaking hope to the downcast and peace to the distressed. Gracious, tender-hearted, pitiful. He went about lifting up the bowed down and comforting the sorrowful. Wherever he went, he carried blessing. Now imagine, see that that picture that she paints? It's like he was always constantly going out and reaching out to these people. Now let's remember who Jesus was. In the book of John, verse 129, it says, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus was the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And what were the characteristics of these sacrificial lambs in the Bible? Well, I'm sure many people know. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 9, verses 13 to 14. Hebrews 9, verses 13 to 14. It says, For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So we see in this verse that Jesus is described as being without spot. In other words, he was unspotted from the world, like James said. In Mark 7, verses 20 to 23, we see Jesus talking about those things that would defile us, and that could cause us to be spotted from the world. It says, And he said, What comes out of a man, that defiles a man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, and evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. Now, let's think about that. Jesus just gave us this very long list of things that are all evil. Now, perhaps some of those might strike you as more evil than others, but I'm just going to look at a couple of those where he says that covetousness, lewdness, pride, and foolishness are all evil. These are things that would cause us to be spotted from the world following the, the wording of James. Now, do we live our lives as if those things are all evil? Part of the thing that we'll see as the problem is that we as young people oftentimes aren't even convinced that we should be keeping ourselves unspotted from the world. And this goes for me just as much as anybody else. Deep down in our hearts, many times we are attracted to the world. We love the world, even though we might not say that, but that's really what is going on. To begin to answer the question of why should we keep ourselves unspotted from the world, let's turn to 1 John ch- uh, chapter 2. Verses 15 to 16, and many of you might know this by heart. It says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. So John is telling us, Don't love the world because it's not of God. Now, James, back in the book of James where we started off, in chapter 4, verses 4, he says it in even more uncertain terms. He says, Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. That's, that's pretty straight. And then in the book of Romans, Paul says, Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be, so then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now, what is the carnal mind? What is this, this enmity against God? It means to be at odds with God. So to love the world goes right along with being enemies of God. And if we're claiming that we're Christians and we love Jesus, we love God, how can we then at the same time be enemies of God? That, that doesn't make sense. Now, um, I want to read a quote from, from something that Ellen White wrote that is talking about this same context, um, the, the, same, the same concept. She says, It is an alarming fact that the love of the world predominates in the minds of the young. They decidedly love the world and the things that are in the world. And for this very reason, the love of God finds no room in their hearts. That's in first um, testimony, uh, chapter, sorry, page 499. (laughs) Now, if you're anything like me, you might think that, okay, she just said a couple of things that might not fully make sense to me. She says that the love of the world predominates in the, in the minds of young people, and that's why the love of God has no place there. But yet you might be thinking, well, I'm a Christian and I love God. I mean, yeah, I might love the world somewhat, but I still love God too. Well, if that's really true, let's just think about individually how we measure up to the following. And again, I'm saying this for all of us. Like how, how does this measure up to our experience? This is what she said uh, a couple pages over. Compare your course of life with that of your master, who made such a great sacrifice that you might be saved. He frequently spent the entire night upon the damp ground in agonizing prayer. You are seeking your own pleasure. Listen to the vain, frivolous conversation. Hear the laugh, the jesting, the joking. Is this imitating the pattern? Still listen. Is Jesus mentioned? Is the truth the theme of conversation? Are the speakers glorying in the cross of Christ? I have to say, that's a challenge to me. That is not easy, because oftentimes our highest joy, our happiness, is not in the cross of Christ. It's in whatever else comes to our mind at the time. Now, are we trying to say that we shouldn't be happy Christians? Not at all. Because if we look at what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 4, he says, he does say, "...neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks." So he's not saying don't be happy. He's saying direct it not towards earthly things, but toward God. In the same chapter, in verses 17 to 20, he expounds on this theme and says, Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not, and do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. So again, Paul is making it clear here. We're not supposed to be lifeless, dead, morose, sad Christians. That is not what he's saying. He is saying that instead of in being partaking in the, the foolishness, really, of the world, we should be building each other up in God and singing to each other in psalms and encouraging one another. So now that we see that we have this problem, what is it that can actually save us from being like the world? James again gives us the answer. So let's go back to the book of James as we're wrapping up. James chapter 1 and verse 21. James chapter 1, verse 21. And it says, Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. So James is giving us the solution to the problem here. He's saying the word of God in our hearts, in our minds, that is what is able to save us from all these other distractions in the world. And I'd just like to encourage you, um, I don't have time to go over it, but when I read The Great Controversy, a book that actually changed my life, Something that really appealed to me was the way that, as you look at the lives of the different Protestant reformers, they had such a a clear picture of of the Bible They, they immersed their minds in the Word of God and it really it, it, made, it put them on on a high intellectual plane um, I, I have an analytical mind, I like to think about things and reason and whatnot, and the Bible actually enabled them to be matchless in, in, their, in their logic, in their thoughts, in their arguments for the Word of God. But now, that is one thing to be attracted to the understanding of the Bible. It's another thing. It has to actually sink into our hearts and change our hearts. So now, um, going on, as we see that, that James has said that in the Bible, that is where we can find the solution to this problem of being like the world, doesn't that make us want to have the Bible as the foundation of our life? To see it as the thing that moves us forward, that guides what we do, and and that gives us purpose. Now, um, this is the same word that Jesus uh, based his life upon. He spent so much time studying the Bible, and that is what allowed him to live the life that he lived. So, This morning, as as we're wrapping up, um, we've looked at a couple things from from the book of James. James has these two themes of what pure and undefiled religion is. It is to visit widows and orphans in their distress, and to also keep oneself unspotted from the world. And that involves sacrificing our time. It involves sacrificing our effort, resources to help people in need. And this is something that we saw that Jesus did in his own life in the time that he spent on this earth. It also involves not being contaminated by the world, um, which is a high challenge. Jesus wasn't contaminated by the world in the life that he lived. And he's calling us to live that same life that he lived. And again, we've been shown in the Bible what the solution is to those things. It's the Word of God. It's encouraging one another in psalms and spiritual songs and hymns. And this is what is being held out before us this morning. So I'd like to invite you all to make a decision with me right now. You don't need to raise your hands, but just engage your mind and think about what this verse really means. It's it's a call to a perfect and a pure and undefiled religion. It is something that is you know, the best of the best. It cannot get better than that. How would you like to decide to make that a focus in your life? To take up the challenge of finding those orphans and widows wherever they may be and reaching out to them. Not just once, not just twice, but actually as a way of life. And that might mean involve it might involve, you know, spending time spending your whole life actually serving God in the mission field in some a foreign country. It may mean going down the road and finding those people right here in Loma Linda or in San Bernardino and reaching out to them. Not just once or twice, but actually as a consistent thing. You know, all of this that we've talked about might seem like it's impossible to reach. It might seem too high, you know, like, how could I ever do that? I don't have the strength, the, the stamina to follow through with something like that. I don't have the inner purity to be like Jesus, to actually not be contaminated by the world. But you know, in the book of Jude, there is an awesome and amazing promise that God has given us that encourages us to know that he can make this a reality in our lives. So let's turn to Jude 24 and 25. Jude just has one chapter, so the verses are 24 and 25. And it says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory, with exceeding joy. To to God, our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Let's seal our decision this morning with prayer. Dear Lord, thank you that this morning you have challenged us. You have shown us what it means to have pure and undefiled religion. You have outlined to us that it means to not be selfishly focused on ourselves, but to sacrifice and to reach out to those that are less fortunate as a consistent way of life, Lord, not just as an event that we do here or there, but as something that we do that is a part of who we are through you. You've also, Lord, called us to not be contaminated by the world, and that is something that is impossible for us to do in our own strength. But Lord, we're just so thankful that you have promised us that you are able to keep us from stumbling. You're able to present us faultless before your throne. And Lord, we just ask you to please break our hearts, Lord, help us to be humble and submitted to you and to be willing to let you do this miracle in our lives. We thank you so much for all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more.